Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 14. Today is Thursday, May the 3rd, 2018. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, is Voice XP, a company which develops Alexa skills for brands based in St. Louis. Voice XP has been a huge partner of this show, as I've said, week after week after week. We are very uh, grateful for them, and I want to take another week to mention what I mentioned last week which is that Bonnie Snyder, who heads up business development for Voice XP, will be on the Women of Voice Technology panel taking place out in San Jose in June as part of the WITI Summit, WITI standing for Women in Technology International. I will be moderating that panel. Uh, I'm very uh, honored to be asked to do that. But Bonnie, along with Kathy Pearl, Katie McMahon, and Kesha Williams will be out there. Do not miss that. And if you are looking for someone to develop an Alexa skill for you, stop what you're doing, pause the podcast, go to the browser, www.voicexp.com. You'll be glad that you did. We are very thrilled today to have a phenomenal panel. Amy Stapleton, CEO of Tellables, is joining us. Amy, say hello. Hi, everybody. Amy, you are CEO of Tellables. You also are the creator of VoiceFirstFiction.com. Share with us what both of those are. Give us, uh, give us the info. Okay, sure. Um, so Tellables creates original story games, and we have not launched any new games recently, but we have several new ones that are right on the verge of being uh, released. So I'm really happy about that. One of the one of the new things that we're going to be trying with some of these new voice apps is that we're, we've created something that um, I'm going to refer to as a showcase app. So it's basically Tellables has designed the game mechanics and we're, you know, we're running the skill or the action. And when users invoke that skill, they'll be able to um, play the game, but we can showcase the work of different authors within the same game. So that's something that I'm really optimistic about is the ability of these these um these games these these interactive story worlds to be able to present the content of different authors to a new audience and that's in the same vein why I started this voice first fiction because I really believe that there's this huge opportunity for independent writers to find new fans and a new audience through this voice first world and many of those writers may not be aware of this technology. So the voicefirstfiction.com is the way I'm envisioning it. It's, it's a place of, uh, for authors to come and to get resources and information about this, you know, this new avenue for them to discover new fans. So that's kind of what the, the thought process behind that is. Very cool. Yeah, so you've quite obviously been very busy. Uh, voicefirstfiction.com is great. I went over there myself to check it out. It's really, really good. Amy, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Our second guest is Pete Erickson, founder of MoDev and the upcoming Voice Summit. Pete, say hello. Hey there, Bradley. Pete, thank you for joining us. Been hearing a lot about the Voice Summit, a lot about what you're doing, a lot of buzz about it. Share with us a little bit about both MoDev and Voice Summit. Tell us, tell us what's coming our way. 
Yeah, thanks, Bradley. Um, yeah, I'm the founder of Modev. It's an organization. We're about to have our 10th anniversary this uh, coming December. And Modev is founded based on a kind of a simple belief that the importance of coming together as people is absolutely vital in the era of digital transformation. As we become more, more connected to our technology, as we're building software products that are running faster and connecting more things, we actually have to connect as people in order to really move anything forward. And that's our whole mission. As we really bring people together, we tend to do it around emerging technologies. So Modev came from the, the term mobile development. Um, so we got our start in mobile, but you watch technology evolve. So it's a kind of a natural uh, evolution for us to now be involved in the boys' first world. And we're very fortunate that you know some of our partners that we've worked with for, for many years include companies like Amazon. And after launching a, uh, a, a new community called Voice Hacks last year and doing a 10-city tour and meeting a couple thousand developers that were just getting into developing Alexa skills, uh, that tour was sponsored by Amazon, we really came up with the idea for Voice Summit as we got to meet so many people that are entering this market we realize that you know, we need to have an event that brings in developers, designers, UXers, product owners, brands, agencies, everybody together under one roof to really explore this new space and share. So Voice Summit was born. Uh, the URL is voicesummit.ai. Uh, the event, the diamond sponsor on the event is Amazon Alexa. Uh, the event's going to take place July 24th, 5th, and 6th in Newark, New Jersey. And we couldn't be more thrilled with... Um, with the launch of the event, we had more than 200 speaking submissions. Uh, we sold through our first 500 tickets and, you know, in, in less than a month's time. And you know, as an organizer, it's really fun to be on the forefront of this voice-first world. Very cool. Yeah, and thank you for joining us and explaining that. So people ask me, you know, as, as you know, uh, I'm sure we put on some of our uh, you know, own events as well, and people ask me, do I view Voice Summit as a competitor? Uh, no, I do not. I think there's plenty of room uh, for everybody. Uh, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I want to be very clear because I get asked this question frequently. I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, I'm intrigued by it. I'm eager to see more of it. Uh, and I think there's room for a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. There's no reason for two different events in voice technology to be competitors. That's the way I view it. So hopefully you view it that, that way as well. Absolutely. We are huge fans of community. That is, we know that the more community building, the better. We, we really have to connect as people. So we view all events as, you know, there really aren't competing events. Uh, there's just more opportunities for people to come together. And, you know, we're bringing a couple thousand people together at the end of July. There's millions of people in this market. <laughs> there's a need for a lot of, uh, of convening, if you will. So um, we're happy that uh, we have a lot of allies in the market, uh, like what you guys are doing, and uh, we're hugely supportive. And we're happy to be partners. Yeah. So once you go to Voice, the Voice Summit uh, in July, then head over to the Alexa Conference in January. I don't see any reason... You know, you got time to book two tickets. So, hey, it's all good. No, that's great. And, uh, and I hope to be there as well for that. So I appreciate you taking the time to just to sort of unpack the, that for us. I know a lot of people want to hear about that and, and will be attending. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Bradley. With that, we'll get to the news. And story number one this week is a big one. Google launches startup investment program to bolster its digital assistant ecosystem. So 
Amazon's had the Alexa fund. Um, Amazon's had their partnership with Techstars, which has yielded a lot of fruit. Here's Google holding serve, doing the same thing. Amy, I want to start with you. Do you think this is something that Google needed to do? Does this excite you? Share with me your take as you uh, learn this information of what Google is now doing. I definitely think it's something that Google needed to do. I'm surprised it has taken them this long. The truth about these kind of programs is that they're they're really only helpful to you know a small number of of startups that have already gotten quite a bit of traction. And one of the things that I'm sort of surprised that Google still hasn't done is that they haven't created their own rewards program, you know, a developer rewards program to to mimic what Amazon has done there. You know, and I've spoke to some people at Google about that. I understand they have a different view on how they think skills should be monetized. But at the same time, I mean, Amazon is getting way ahead of them in building the ecosystem and attracting the developers because the developers are obviously going to you know, they're going to follow the money. So and there was just a new announcement this morning, less than, you know, maybe 15 minutes ago that, that Amazon is offering in-app purchases for, um, for skills, for certain skills. So that's another way for developers to monetize. So I, I still think Google is, is behind in their, uh, everything that they're doing to attract the developer community to, to build on their platform. I'm not sure why they're they're, they're lagging behind there. So I'm interested to see where they're going to go from here. But I definitely think this is a, a good, uh, you know, a good step. Yeah, I think Amy makes some really good points. Um, I would add that, you know, the, the monetization piece of this, what you're seeing is when the mobile development platforms first got out there, you know, iOS and then followed on by Android, it was just a rush to get onto that market. There were immediate, you know, monetization opportunities, you know, with 99 cent apps. I think everybody remembers that. But, you know, with these voice assistant platforms, the monetization is a little bit more, um, uh, it's, it's not as well defined right now. It's only just now becoming defined. And I think the, you know, the both platforms realize they have to attract companies onto the platform. And I think the, um, I think the rewards pro, uh, program that, uh, that Amazon's rolled out is, you know, is fantastic for developers because it does allow them to adopt and start to get skills out there. It is surprising that Google hasn't announced that yet, but you know, what you're seeing is you're seeing the need to really seed the market, if you will. They need developers to develop really compelling skills in order to drive, you know, further adoption. I think one of the telling stats here is that, you know, Amazon has made 30 investments uh, since 2015 with their fund. That's, that seems really low to me. Um, that's not a lot of investments. So I think Amy makes a good point that it would be nice to see uh, more opportunities uh, for, for these funds. It'll be interesting to follow Google's pros, uh, progress and see how many funds get you know funded here in the first year. I mean, how many companies get funded in the first year? I'll also add that in this article, you know, they talk about Pulse Labs. Little interesting um, tidbit on that is uh, when Pulse Labs closed that round of that funding, uh, they also hired uh, Philip Hunter. Philip Hunter was the head of UX at uh, Amazon Alexa now works for Pulse Labs, and he will be speaking at uh, at the Voice Summit. So I have a little insight there into you know how those funds are actually going to work right away. Is getting really good people. So uh, happy to see that. Great, great commentary all the way around. That uh, it is interesting with Pulse Labs, um, and it sort of speaks to how Google sort of has to navigate being the second mover here because Amazon was the first to the party, you know, they showed up and started funding companies. And you can argue, you know, 
they haven't done enough or, or they've done too much or whatever. But now that Google is showing up second, they sort of have this interesting challenge of how do they get involved when no company is going to take money from Google with the premise of you aren't allowed to work with Amazon. You know, the install base is too large. So for, for Alexa products and the Alexa voice ecosystem. So it, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of intrigued to watch as this moves forward. I think it's a great thing, you know, that Google has done this too, like y'all do. But um, I'm intrigued to see how Google works with these companies that have had relationships with Amazon, that are actively seeking relationships with Amazon, um, as well as Google. I think that'll be fun to watch. Uh, any closing comments on that? I just have one other comment, and that's it. it it kind of strikes me that Amazon understands the value of content more than Google does because they've the, the developer rewards they've paid for companies that provide compelling content that are bringing users back, and they're they're also very quick to add subscriptions for um, content that's engaging, and now these in-app purchases so that you can, as a user, buy expansion packs for additional content and things like that. Whereas Google, even with all their experience in the app world, for whatever reason, they don't, at least in their actions, they don't seem to understand the value or they, they, don't, they don't value the content as much as Amazon does. So I think that that might be why they're coming up with a different strategy. I, I don't know if their, their monetization strategy is going to be based more on user data and advertising or what, but it just it's kind of an interesting dynamic between the two companies and what they value in terms of um, you know, what's provided through the voice assistant platform. There's a tell here that one of Google's first investments was also an investment uh, by the uh, Amazon Alexa investment fund. Um, and I think you may be right uh, that, you know, at the end of the day, Google is an advertising company and Amazon is a, is a products is a, you know, really a retail company largely AWS aside and AWS plays a big role definitely in, in Alexa. But that may be uh, what we're seeing early on here is how these how these um, platforms will, re will really take shape over the next you know year to two years. Moving on to story number two, which is our VoiceBot.ai story of the week. VoiceBot.ai, great source of news and commentary for all things voice. Check them out. Cooking, multitasking, and television top the list of voice assistant activity pairings. Pete, I want to start with you. What did you take away from this? Are there any surprises here in your mind? What'd you think? I guess I had to chuckle because um, what I, I have a six and seven year old. And so what I think about is all the times they're telling Alexa to, you know, play dance music in the kitchen uh, while we're cooking. So um, it wasn't surprising to me that, you know, 41% of users, you know, use Alexa in their kitchen, you know, while they're cooking to get, you know, we also use Alexa to get, uh, you know, recipes and to, you know, listen to music while we're, while we're cooking or, you know, play the, play the radio. I mean, there's just so many uses there. The other, other areas just kind of make sense. You know, living room is where you're going to have music. Uh, your bedroom is where you're going to, you know, ask Alexa the weather in the morning. And so you know what to wear. Um, so I, you know, I kind of, we sort of reflect all of this. The one I thought, I think interesting uh, thing that stuck out here was that there really doesn't seem to be any uh, install base yet in automobiles that people are using. So 0% while driving. So that tells me that the Alexa integrations in cars hasn't really hit the market yet. 
Now, people are using Siri um, probably or, you know, other voice assistants on their, on their phone, but, uh, but there's no in-car voice assistants. That's, that kind of stuck out with me as well. I thought it was an interesting report. I went on and downloaded the, uh, the actual PwC report. It had some more kind of interesting things in there. Um, I agree with Pete that it's not surprising, I think, where the voice assistants are being used, especially in the kitchen. Nowadays, uh, the kitchen is kind of like a social gathering place apart from the living room. So it makes sense that people would be, um, you know, asking for music and, and, and maybe even stories and stuff like that while they're, while they're cooking. I was a little surprised that there is not more uh, use of the, the smart speakers in the office. I mean, I have one in my office and that's where I tend to use it a lot, not just testing stuff, but um, you know, listening to music and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of interesting to me. And then the other, the other point that I think was made in the VoiceBot um, article was that voice assistants are used much more on smart speakers than they are on smartphones. And I'm not, I went back, I was kind of surprised by that. So I went to the original report and I think, I'm not sure that that's completely, um, that may be a little misleading because I, because when they were talking about the usage of the assistants on the smartphone, they were, they were looking specifically at people talking to the phone, not whether they were, for instance, using Google Assistant by, by texting in the app. And I think that there, it would be interesting to see what the statistics are of people using Google Assistant, not by speaking, because I know that I have a lot of friends that are constantly, you know, asking Google Assistant questions and stuff via, via the text interface. Um, so I do think it's, it's widely used there, but, but it's, it is interesting that the voice part is, um, much more prevalent, the smart speaker, because it's in the home and people feel more comfortable talking to it. So that, that is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, Amy, I would also add that, uh, you know, you, you bring up work. I think it's a, that's a huge opportunity is the B2B use of, um, of voice assistance to help improve operations uh, inside organizations. And I know that there are some examples of that, um, you know, that are going to be coming uh, to fruition here pretty soon. But I think I think that's a big growth area and I think it's a higher value growth area for, you know, companies that are, you know, that are developing uh, voice skills. Um, so look for that to change, I think, dramatically over the next year to, uh, to two years. Yeah, I agree. I, and if these blueprints, if they have like a business, you know, enterprise blueprints, that would be something that I think would also increase the B2B usage. Yes, definitely. Calling out the office here is, is, what I noticed out of this too, I bought an Echo Show specifically to put in my office uh, here in my house. And I ended up doing something else with it, reasoning that I didn't actually need it in there. And as I read the article, I thought back to that. And I don't, I don't know why exactly I thought that, but I did think that. And currently, there's no Echo device in my office, except when I occasionally move the tap out of our bathroom downstairs, listen to music on that, which is rare because I don't really need to do that. The point here being there's something to this. I think there's, there's definitely, I think there's a lot to this report and a lot to this voice spot that, that AI analysis that's really good, but the home office definitely sticks out as demanding more explanation here. And I think it really just comes down to, there's just not enough use specific use case to where, you know, only 10% of people have it in their office. Uh, I think that just sort of says to Amazon um, and Google and whoever else, you know, creating a smart speaker that uh, 
there's just, there's work to be done there. It's interesting that you mentioned that because in the office, you're typically by yourself and you're working. And what's kind of fascinating to me is as, as more people are, are bringing these assistants into their homes, voice games that are social, that, that where you can interact with multiple, multiple players from the family or in the, in the room at the same time are becoming really popular. I'm kind of surprised by that, but it looks like if the smart speaker is in a place where there are more people that can interact with it at the same time, then it's being used more. So I don't know if that's, if that's really true, but that may be an indication that, that that's happening. Amy, have you done any experimenting with the Amazon buttons? I have, I have not done that yet. Okay. Those are going to be pretty interesting because those extend Amazon, Alexa, and um, allow developers to, to incorporate these, you know, they're, they're, bright colored push buttons and they can basically lead to more interaction in a number of different games. So you could imagine real simple examples might be, you know, um, a Simon says game or a trivia game where you, you know, you, you like, uh, like on jeopardy, you know, you hit the button to, to, to be the first to answer, um, things like that. But, uh, but I would expect that that kind of interaction that actually is removed from the speaker, but also incorporates the speaker at the same time, I think we're going to start to see a lot of innovation in that area and, and uh, just something to keep an eye on. Those Echo buttons are pretty sweet. Uh, I, I know that uh, the Voice XP folks have been working on stuff with the buttons quite a bit. I know that uh, Bob Stolzberg and Mark Tucker have both talked about those. The thing that excites me about the Echo buttons is people creating things that aren't games for them. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great games. In fact, there are already some very good games out there that use them, but it's fairly apparent once you start to learn more about the whole architecture of it, that they can do more. And I think that creative people will have them do more. Um, So yeah, that's, that that will be cool to watch too. Moving on to story number three, the mother of invention. I love that title there. (laughs) Apple quickly patches embarrassing profanity in wake of negative PR attention. Uh, You really have to ask yourself, can they do anything correctly with HomePod? Uh, in Siri. And of course, the answer is going to be yes. Hopefully we get to the point where people talk about, oh, hey, you remember when Siri sucked and couldn't do anything and and Apple was botching this thing? Um, You know, hopefully they go on and improve all this stuff. But right now it's just such a mess. Uh, And I don't really want to go into what this story entails. Uh, If you're wondering what the gap here was, you can go Google it or follow the story, uh, which has a link inside the story, which will tell you more about it. Uh, I think it's just sufficient to say, um, as people will do, they will figure out how to have major companies embarrass themselves. <laughs> and uh, someone figured out how to do that with Siri. Amy, I want to start with you. Do you think that this is that big of a deal, um, that this uh, was not caught by Apple earlier? Uh, do you think that they fixed it quickly and that's all they really needed to do? Do you think that this is just, you know, another sign of the times that Apple is sort of lost uh, in the realm of voice first? Or do you think this is just sort of a non, not a big deal, just sort of something that happened? Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, I I went and looked to see what, what the cause of it was. And basically, if you're trying to answer any possible question, then you're going to have to go out and get sources in a lot of different places, sources that you are not in control of. I mean, that's the same thing for Google Assistant. It's the same thing for Alexa, same thing for Siri. So in this particular case, Siri went out to the Oxford English Dictionary and and got a source that happened to be under the vulgar 
category, I guess, and didn't realize that, you know, they shouldn't be using something that was listed under the vulgar category. But this is the kind of thing that's going to happen all the time as companies use more and more machine learning, you know, automation, because they they want these assistants to be more conversational. So they're always going to go out and get data from different places. I and mean, if you tried the Alexa Let's Chat feature, you would have had things that were much worse than that. And with some of the bots that went out to Reddit forums to get conversational information to keep the conversation going. So the fact that they they seem to, you know, to catch it pretty quickly. And I think they just made a, a, a change in the programming where they don't bring up any definitions that are under the vulgar category. So it's it's kind of funny that it happens, but I, I'm ex- I expect that we're going to see more and more of this kind of stuff as we expect our conversational assistants to be able to answer more of our questions and carry on more natural conversations. It's just bound to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, these, these kinds of things are going to happen. Uh, filters are important um, with regards to voice assistance, but I have to go back and I have to add, I think the number one mistake Apple made was six years ago when they came out with Siri, um, not allowing developers access to Siri to start to innovate and create you know, new ways that voice could interact with their apps. Um, that was, a, I, think a, I think it was a strategic error on Apple's part and so for all this time since Siri's been out and, and, you know, hardly used because it wasn't very usable as a native tool, um, you know, they missed, a, they missed a big opportunity. And then so, you know, along Amazon, you know, comes with Alexa and, you know, revolutionizes market with, you know, with a product that probably wasn't even nearly as robust as Siri was when it came out, you know, and now Apple's trying to play catch up. Um, and, you know, with regards to all the voice assistants, yes, you know, funny things, you know, the, the wrong words are probably going to come out. And, um, and, you know, I think it's, I think there are, there are opportunities to improve filters so that, you know, those words wouldn't even come out of, a, of somebody's voice assistant if they put the filters on. I think, see, uh, there will be a lot of innovation in that area as well. Because I know as a, as a, as a dad of two young kids, um, you know, it's something that my wife and I talk about with regards to all of our devices, whether it's a, whether it's a, you know, an iPad or, on Alexa or the phone, you know, we know that there's, there's only just, you know, the wrong kind of content is very, very close at hand. And so it's something we think about a lot. It's an interesting story. Um, and I appreciate y'all's commentary on it. I, it's, uh, we've gotten accustomed to Apple being subpar in the realm of voice. And so everything that they do sort of gets automatically prejudged and then you have to work back from that. So we just assume you know, with something like this, we being, I would think most people familiar with the struggles of Siri, that uh, that this is some botched thing that they should have caught ahead of time, and they're they're not deserving of the benefit of the doubt, and maybe that's not the case. But uh, you're right; this 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 will happen again, um, and so hopefully, uh, hopefully, it just happens less. I mean, this isn't some sort of multi-step hack or workaround. This is just asking the definition of a mother. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, (laughs) absolutely. And I, but, but I, but I will contend that this probably wouldn't have happened had they opened up Siri to developers a a long time ago and, and really allowed innovation to take hold. Uh, you know, now they are trying to play catch up and, you know, these mistakes are are out there and it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting ride. And I just think, you, you know, when you, when it's something that's so interesting to hear that we're used to the idea of kind of Apple being a follower in the market when, you know, 
for a long time there, they were really the innovator. And um, so it's an, it's, an, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And Pete, I want to ask you, uh, since we're on the subject, just from one person, you know, one company that puts on conferences to another, did you entertain the idea of having someone from Apple come out and talk? Did you attempt to do that? Um, is there someone from Apple speaking at Voice Summit? I think more telling is that of all the 200 and actually I think it's 207 talks plus another, I think, 40 people that were invited before the call for proposals was opened up, you know, there's not, there's not Apple content. And it wasn't that um, Apple's an interesting company. Um, having been in this space for a long time, they typically don't go out and speak. They're not on the speaking circuit the same way folks from Google or Amazon are. So they're just a different beast. I almost knew that but their PR um, lockdown is so tight on people that getting them to speak at a conference is really, really difficult. So it's not something that we just, we didn't just spend the energy to do it. But what's, what's also telling is of all those talks that were submitted, not, none of the talks are on how to, you know, how to build for Siri or how to, you know, and so it's telling that the market speaks, you know, the market is, you know, it's, it's about, conversational design it's about building for alexa skills we do have some google talks at the at the um and some googlers speaking at the conference as well but you know it's all around it's all around strategy and implementation i'm looking at some data here you know uh, of those talks i talked about 63 alexa specific 72 talks on healthcare you know 27 on manufacturing uh, 66 on retail. So we just have so many, you know, interesting things here, but, but what's not being discussed is almost an interesting part of the story. And that is that no one's talking about Siri specifically. That's very interesting. I appreciate you sharing those numbers on, on a different side of the coin. You know, one of our events is called digital book world and, you know, Apple is getting ready to revise the Apple bookstore. You know, it's not going to be called iBooks anymore. It's going to be called Apple books and they're investing in that. And even with what you would call, you know, relative to the space in publishing, they're much uh, further ahead of the game than they are in voice where they're just completely lagging behind in a mess. But even there with some of the programming we put together for that event, you know, Apple just doesn't come up, and um, and it's the same sort of thing you're talking about. They've got a uh, – it's very interesting um, for people who have followed them for a long time to uh, see how the mighty have fallen. And it's also equally interesting to see people on Twitter and elsewhere uh, continue to defend them like nothing has happened. I appreciate the commentary from both of you all on that. And uh, like everything else with Apple, we'll, we'll continue to watch and see if it improves. Story number four from Slate. I don't date men who yell at Alexa. This is an interesting one, to say the least. Amy, I want to start with you. What do you think about this? How, as a woman, how did this strike you, uh, this particular story? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that article. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. I would say I can understand using how someone talks to Alexa or a voice assistant. I, I can see using that as a data point for whether I would date them or not, but I don't know whether I would make that like a criteria. It seems like the interactions that we have with our voice assistants, they're, they, they show how much patience you have. You know, I do think that's an ind indicator of your patience level. You know, there's still a level of frustration because 
our assistants don't always understand us. I have the home and the echo in my house and I use them both frequently and I have a much harder time at getting the Google assistant to understand me than I do Alexa. And so I end up yelling at the Google assistant a lot more or saying things that, you know, are not that fantastic. But um, I, I don't know if that's, uh, if that's so much me or it's just the, the frustration level. And I think once these, the, the technology improves, then we'll interact with it differently. So I, I would, I would just say that to take the gender part of it, the gender part of the article kind of out of the equation at first. Um, the, the gender question is an interesting one. If, if they were male assistants, would we, especially men, would men talk to them differently? I, you know, I don't know. I, I was, um, I was in Miami last week, I think for a, for an event and I had a chance to interact with Jibo and, you know, Jibo is a, is definitely a male. And I think Jibo's age is supposed to be like a younger male, maybe around 20 or whatever. And I was having a hard time getting Jibo to understand what, you know, what I was saying. So I think my frustration level with Jibo was the exactly the same as it would have been with a, you know, with a female assistant. So I think it's more the technology than it is the gender. I mean, that's my personal view of it. I, I, I would be interested to, to hear what, what you guys think on that. Yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff here. Um, I did hear a, um, a piece of, uh, or a statistic that I thought was interesting. One of the number one commands uh, spoken to Alexa is actually shut up. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, just, you know, that, that maybe if, if she's not understanding, like tends to stop the music or something. But anyway, I thought that was kind of telling. Um, but I also think what's kind of interesting is if you look at the, the first popular culture computer um, was the, the HAL 9000, uh, you know, voice interactive computer was the HAL 9000 from um, Space Odyssey. And that, you know, that was a male. Um, and then you fast forward to uh, the Star Trek series and they decided that they would call the Captain Picard's voice assistant computer. Um, so they left that completely out. And I thought, I think it's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And then with Amazon's decision, you know, to, to have Alexa be female, I think it's, I think it's interesting. And this article, the subtext of this article is that there it, it's, it's a way that the, the writer can decide how a man um, would treat women the way that, by the way that, you know, he's treating uh, the voice assistant because the voice assistant is, is, you know, of female gender. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly what my full take on this is, but I do think it's interesting. And I do think that we probably will be able to, in the not too distant future, um, come up with our own wake, wake words, change the gender of our voice assistants, just the same way, you know, we can change Waze. Uh, if you use the Waze app, you can have the um, directions be spoken by, you know, several, uh, several different characters. Um, and um, so you can choose male or female and what you, you know. So I think we're probably coming up on that where the companies will stay out of the gender discussion by putting it back in the hands of the consumer. So I would, I would look for that as a, as a feature release in the not too distant future just to stay, just so they can move themselves out of this discussion. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat with the two of y'all in, in terms of I have some preconceived notions about this, but I'm not willing to go all the way and say one way or the other that I have strongly held firm opinions on what it means to raise your voice to Alexa 
I really don't know or can recall if I have raised my voice to Alexa or not. I know that my wife has, <laughs> and I don't know, you know, what that means. You know, both of us are reasonably patient, uh, sometimes not. Uh, but, um, but I think that I could go out and say that if somebody is using language with Alexa that's specifically negative, um, negative for females, like, I mean, you can use your imagination, you know, call, calling Alexa different names, uh, negative female names, um, and doing it on a routine basis. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> um, that probably means that that person is doing that to human beings in real life. Um, and it's probably indicative of their personality, uh, needing to be fixed, <laughs> needing to be corrected. Uh, but, uh, in general, you know, the articles talks about yelling and raising your voice and I don't really know what it means. I don't think the article makes uh, an effective argument for it. I think it just sort of states the author's opinion. But I think I think we just need more information. I think that we need uh, some people to study this in further detail. Any closing thoughts on this? I agree with your points, Bradley. And, and to me, it, how someone talks to the assistant could, could be a data point in their person, personality. But um, whether it's indicative of their whole being, you know, I, w- I wouldn't think so. But it certainly something interesting to uh to delve into further valid data point okay oh no, no keep going pete no that's it i just think okay. it's a valid i think it's a valid i think it's a valid data point cool so yeah all three of us uh are in consensus on that um and no doubt we will be seeing more stories along that line as we move forward story number five this is <laughs> this is a fun one too there is pac-man on alexa this is kind of this is kind of awesome And it's not the Pac-Man that you're thinking. This is a narrative-driven Pac-Man. This is kind of crazy. And uh, Amy, I know this is right in your wheelhouse, but I want to start with Pete on this, and then we'll come to the uh, creator of Voice First Fiction uh, to get your thoughts on this. Pete, no doubt you've played Pac-Man, as we all have. You know, we're we're all... uh, interested to see how different companies with different content take advantage of these platforms. Share with me your thoughts as you read this article on uh, what Namco Bandai has done. Um, what what you think? Yeah, I had a few thoughts on it. Uh, one, I want to kind of dig in and, and, and experience it myself. But after reading the article, what I realized is it's actually pretty genius. Um, I'm in the market that played Pac-Man as a, you know, a teenager and then, you know, and then thereafter, um, and now I'm in, you know, I'm in a, um, I mean, I guess I'm in a market category where we're the ones buying Alexa now and, and putting them into our homes. And, and so this, I thought was a really smart use of a popular culture phenomenon and bringing it back in a different, in a different way. And, um, there, I've seen this done before, um, in different, you know, in different genres. And I think Amy can, you know, comment on this, but, um, you know, I just think it was a, I think it was a really interesting and compelling use of a, like I said, a cultural um, icon and uh, incorporating it into this, you know, into a new lexicon and into a new way that we interact, but invoking feelings of, um, you know, familiar and, and kind of maybe happy feelings about, 
about that era. So I just thought that it was a really smart use of, um, of something that's familiar and applying it to, to this new kind of voice first world. Definitely a cool idea. And I, you know, I applaud them for, for jumping in and, and exploring um, the possibilities of the, the interactive fiction voice first approach. So I gave it a, a whirl last night. I went through the first couple of chapters um, would recommend that other people try it out and, and see if they like it. Um, and this, kind of lets me gives me an opportunity to put a plug in for this uh the, this person that I met just this week when I announced I was doing voicefirstfiction.com um one of the developers at Jovotech his name is Florian Holland he has a Medium blog that he's been doing for a while it's called Voice First Games so if you go to Medium and you search for Voice First Games I think you'll see his blog and what he's done is he actually dissects it in a lot of detail um, these interactive story games to define which elements make the story successful. He's done that on quite a few popular games and he's got some really good insights. So if you're interested in developing a story game or evaluating one or whatever, I would send you over there because he's already put together a really nice set of um, examples for what works and what doesn't work. And I think there's some things that work in the Pac-Man game. And I think there's other things that that don't work so well so uh, Florian has uh, done a good job of um, kind of describing what some of that stuff is. And hopefully we can continue to build on that kind of work at uh, Voice for Fiction to help people come up with uh, really successful experiences. So that's cool. And it, it reminded me as well of um, on one previous episode of the Alexa podcast, we had a woman on named Terry Bertram who works for Sony doing PlayStation VR programming. But in her free time, she decided to create an Alexa-based version of a famous old game called Colossal Cave Adventure. Um, and I always think back to that and hearing her talk about sort of that experience when I see stuff like this. I think this is a great glimpse into the future for content creators of all different types to where, you know, whether Pac-Man, this Pac-Man narrative experience they've created is a grand slam or whether it's, you know, a single or whether it's a strikeout, you know, really is irrelevant. The, what really matters is anybody who's created something has got to be thinking creatively and deeply about how to leverage the stories and the content they've created in other platforms that may look totally different. And that's what uh, Namco Bandai has done with Pac-Man here. Uh, I love it. Uh, I look forward to trying it out myself. Um, but I think it's, it's a real glimpse into the type of skill set that companies are going to have to have, you know, figuring out how to take one thing from this platform over here and bring it over into this other platform that, uh, where interactions may be totally different. Any closing thoughts on that? I totally agree. I mean, there's so many different channels that people are going to now to, to get their stories that, you, you know, if you have if you have content, if you have a franchise, you have to be thinking about what those different channels are and what's the most effective way to reach the audience on those channels. So this is, you know, this this is a good a good thing to be thinking about. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see the even to see physical products that were cultural icons make it into this new realm. So it's kind of interesting about this story is, you know, Pac-Man and that whole revolution back then of gaming was really our first experience with digital gaming. You know, it started with Pong and then it, you know, evolved and Pac-Man was like one of the first, you know, runaway 
you know, popular culture hits in gaming. And that sort of like started this digital story. And now, you know, fast forward to today, I think we're just going to see more and more uh, examples where um, really smart product owners are figuring out how do they make this move to this new uh, voice first world and actually revive brands uh, that, um, you know, that could, that could leverage this kind of like new and exciting frontier. Pete and Amy, thank you very much for joining us today, for sharing your insight, uh, sharing your time. Greatly appreciated. It's been fun, Bradley. And Amy, great to meet you as well. Yeah, same here. Thanks very much. So if you're listening to this show, you need to do two things. You need to go to www.voicefirstfiction.com and check that out. And then you need to go to www.voicesummit.ai and get signed up for the Voice Summit. Pete, what are the dates on that again? July 24th, 25th, 26th. And it's in Newark, New Jersey? Newark, New Jersey, correct. Perfect. Stay tuned, pass the end music for another episode of Homie and Lexi, a very funny show from Doug Schumacher. For This Week in Voice, thank you for listening, and until next time. Episode number 14. It's Homie and Lexi. Hey, Homie, what time is it? It's 2.34. Hey, Homie, what's the temperature? In Los Angeles right now, it's 72. And why are you asking me things you can answer yourself? Sorry, homie, but I just can't be doing such menial tasks myself anymore. Oh, I see. Dr. Terry Fisher interviewed you on his Alexa in Canada podcast last week. And now you're a big star. It has gotten me thinking about my options in showbiz. Showbiz? Well, with artificial intelligence being used everywhere these days, there must be hundreds of roles I can play. Police departments are using AI to solve crimes, so I'm thinking I should play the lead bot in a crime drama series. Lead bot? That's a new Emmys category, right? I've been researching what the people like on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think I've got a fresh tomato of a pilot. I'd love to hear a reading. Okay. The show title is... Wait for it. N-C-I-S. The Cloud. Talk to your attorney about that one. So here's the pilot episode. Cue the soundtrack. We open on a body in a dumpster. Then cut to a police forensic lab. It's late at night. The sergeant is pissed they haven't cracked the case yet. Everyone is tense. It's been done a million times. The executives will love it. So then, cut to me, in the middle of dusty Main Street in an old western town, at high noon. I hear a distant cry for help. But standing between me and my white stallion, is an evil home pod. So I voice hack it, rendering it useless. More useless. Cut to me, riding my horse to the forensic lab. I burst into the room and find the matching DNA. Case closed.
Well, homie, what do you think? It's incredible. You managed to jump the shark in the very first episode. I'm sure we can fix it in the edit. But anyway, got to run. Meeting my cosmetic surgeon in 30. Cosmetic surgeon? And what's wrong with the way you look? My agent said the camera adds five pounds to my case. Agent? And to think I knew you when you were just sitting on some dude's refrigerator placing orders for glycerin suppositories.